0: I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Bars Hill
1: Church. I don't really know what I believe anymore, and I'm alright with that. I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd. In the past, I preached a little bit. I'm a movie buff, and I'm an evangelical. This is... Bob, vet- oh, what?
0: Did I double click? Did I click that more than once? I'd say is-
1: you really... Uh, yeah, you, you jumped I'm the I'm sorry. There.
0: Just My disappointment was so heavy that you are continually an evangelical that that i short-circuited my my (laughs) clicking finger finger just yeah I'll, i'll try that again here this is veterans of culture wars and this is the music
1: The Culture Wars is a podcast where we talk about the beliefs, history, culture, and personal stories from evangelical Christianity. We welcome you to the podcast, whether you are a believer or not. And we have another fun episode at the VCW Hall. Zach, uh, we have another author on the show who was with us tonight. George Azar, uh, the author of My Gay Church
0: Days, uh version one apparently we're already we're, we're talking about maybe an update happening um, but i have read version one of my gay church days by george azar uh you may have recently heard him on the thereafter podcast with our friends uh, megan and courtland um i'm not sure what else he has appeared on so far but he is on this show now and that's what's important um to me in this conversation uh so welcome to the show george
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on the show. This is so great. <laughs> Good to meet you.
0: Nice. To yeah, meet you. we were talking beforehand, uh, that uh the the person who runs the Christian Nightmares account uh linked us up. And and right after he made that introduction, I realized that that like the brand new episode of the Thereafter podcast had you on there. So uh, after I'd already said you could be on the show, I listened to that. I was like, oh, he sounds so nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> This is going to be great. I can't wait to talk to him. Um, so everything all worked out. Um, I guess uh, God had a plan for this, you know?
2: Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: <just> <laughs> <laughs> so George, um, you, you wrote this book. You self-published this book um, in a pandemic which is a great time to release anything creative, but uh, as somebody that creates things, I know when you put all that time, you you make something, it's, it feels so good to get out there, get people's eyes on it, ears, whatever. Um, how, how, how big of a project was this in your life? How much energy and time and, and blood, sweat, and tears, how much of you did this, did this take to get this out into the world?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting because writing the book was the easiest part because it was just literally a data dump of all of the thoughts and and the memories and and just just recalling all of these different instances um it actually started on a November night I was with my friend we had we were a couple bottles of wine between us and you know she asked me you know babe can you tell me about your church days I don't know much about it because i wasn't really open about it like i kind of was like a relic of the past I, w- I moved on i'd gone through you know therapy and all that stuff and you know so i told her the story about uh this guy jake chapter 11 um and how we were roommates and we would have these bro sessions and after i told her the story she's like babe you need to write this book this is going to help so many people uh, so yeah, that night I ended up writing the full chapter of Jake, I wrote another chapter, the next morning with a blistering hanger, I ended up like writing, um, a, I think a chapter or two more, uh, but over the course of three weeks, I was able to finish the manuscript. Um, wow. Yeah, it it was, it was definitely like, I just, I, it would just like, I I would be like, Sitting on the toilet, and something would come to me, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh!" So like you know, that I'd run to my computer, and then I would like write it down or whatever. And yeah, so the, the the longest process actually was the editing, and then and then the strategy behind it. Um, I was set to release it actually July of 2021, and had got some really good leads on traditional publishing. So I kind of pulled that 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 date. Wasn't happy about the traditional publishing uh, terms. So I, you know, just
1: set a date for this past February and the rest is history. That's interesting to me about not being happy with the traditional publishing terms for, for aspiring writers out there. What are some of the things that that turned you off about those gatekeepers and and this important, you know, your life story, wanting to get it out there? Uh, what were just some of the, the barriers of going that direction?
2: Yeah, it really was. The, the biggest thing for me was the creativity behind it because I really poured my heart and soul into this thing. Like it was really like I was very vulnerable. And, you know, from from the get-go, it was very much like, you know, expect 50% to, to be edited. And that was before I actually like went through that process. So I kind of went in with this like te- depredation, if you will. The, uh, the, the 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 thing when we were actually talking contracts and all of that was that um, they, they wouldn't do any publicity. It was all on me to do it. And you know, pretty much the only thing, you know, because from my understanding of the traditional publishing route, unless you're going with one of the big guys, um, these uh, uh, smaller to medium-sized firms um, have less resources. And I think that landscape has changed since Amazon and, and all these you know other Ingram Sparks and all of that. And so the only value I saw in what they would provide is putting their stamp of approval on it, which for me, it was like, (laughs) whoop-dee-freaking-do. Right, yeah. Um, So yeah, it definitely, for me, for like self-publishing, it really, it opened up more opportunities for me to be able to be creative with the book and to be creative about how I wanted to structure it. Um, as well as also, you know, a lot of the proceeds, actually, <laughs> so far, all of the proceeds um, go to currently to the Trevor project, um, you know, it's really more of a hobby of mine than it is, you know, I have a day job. So it's not something that, you know, I, I, I have to worry about, you know, putting food on the table. And so, you know, with with the profitability of it as well, where rather than having, you know, somebody taking, you know, more of a percentage, you know, I'm able to actually give back more to the charity organizations.
0: And the, the book, um, you know, it it talks about you not really growing up in a religious home, but discovering uh evangelical culture through like youth group and finding belonging there, um realizing that you had, you know, quote unquote same sex attraction, um, and you know, going through uh conversion therapy experiences uh Exodus International which if folks watched uh, pray away that organizations covered in there uh you know being on staff being ha- having a pastor position um going through all of these you know going up the ladder in an evangelical uh circles uh before finally like coming out and and being being true to yourself and and the ways that these stages of your life impacted your relationships with friends and family and and it wasn't always the case that being in the church made for good relationships with people yeah you know we, we we tend to think of oh you know there can be a lot of friction when somebody comes out but in reading your story a lot of the friction was more before you came out and more like <laughs> how hardline you were about things as an evangelical and you have various people in your life that just seem relieved when you got out of that and came out. Um, and that that was really interesting. But if we could sort of start at the beginning. Um, so you, um, I mean, you, you can tell, but, but so if, if, you, if you could let us know what, what your life was, was like growing up uh, a child of uh, a Lebanese immigrant and a Lebanese American so second generation or so.
2: Yeah, so first generation on my mom's side, second on my dad's. Okay. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. They, you know, very, very much upheld the traditional values, especially my mom. She came over to the States when she was in her 30s um, and ended up marrying my dad. They they got uh, married, both of them, obviously, later in life. Um, and so it, it definitely set the tone for, you know, the the, I guess you could say, the uh, traditional, also Judeo-Christian, you know, value system. My dad uh, had gone to an Episcopalian church since he was a child. My grandma would take us on on the weekends and stuff. So I didn't really have any, you know, foundational or tied to religion per se. Um, it was more of a traditional. It was more of a tradition than it was anything. Uh, but yeah, I was a wildly tortured uh, child. Uh, my brother is also gay. He came out, my older brother, he came out much, uh, he came out earlier in life than I did. And so it, it almost was like, because of name recognition alone, like I had inherited his that his bullies, his traumas and all of that when I started going to the middle school. And so I just became a shell of a person I, you know, had no identity, I ended up, you know, just teaming up with one other guy who my classmates would accuse me of uh, of us being gay lovers and all of that. And I write about that ex- in the book as well. Uh, but yeah, I really felt like I didn't have a place that I belonged. I just was kind of this nomad. Nobody really wanted to talk to me or sit with me unless they were, you know, hurling some sort of insult at me. And so by the time I was a freshman in high school, you know, my suicidal thoughts had been on steroids. I, remember a night clearly after one of the football games uh going going home and to my or going to my grandma's house and wanting to slip my wrist that night and that kind of was one of those moments where i realized that i was just spiraling out of control and i ended up i was working i've been working since i was like 10 years old i was working at one of the local ice cream shops and this girl that i worked with was a was an evangelical christian so she shared with me jesus and um, after I had humiliated her after some point. And, yeah, so I ended up, you know, going to youth group with her, and she, you know the people there were seemingly nice and were took an interest in who I was. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I accepted the Lord into my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then and then the rest was history. it was it definitely was a quest of mine to find some sort of belonging and acceptance and respect from my peers. And it seemed like that the church was the most viable option.
0: So you had you had a connection to church growing up, but it wasn't like the center of your family's social life at all.
2: Exactly. Like I had a connection to spirituality. Interestingly enough, I remember being a little kid and like laying in bed and like having these moments where I would levitate above my body. And it was like, it was scary, but it felt amazing because I was out of my body. Like it was like this. So whenever I would go to the youth, like the the youth, or not the youth group, the uh, kids ministry, uh, when my grandma would take us to the Episcopalian church and they would talk about Noah, they would talk about you know all these different you know theological concepts. It was like child's play for me in regards to my own experience. Like so, so I really didn't resonate with the stories of the Old Testament and then then the message of Jesus. And so I really didn't have any, like, for me, it was more of like, okay, so my grandmother is very religious. She has crucifixes and, you know, holy water by her bedside. And she kisses the, the images of Jesus every single day that's riddled with lipstick and all of that. So for (laughs) me, it was, yeah, (laughs) oh yeah. She was very (laughs) devoted. Like she like, you know, but, but she wasn't, she wasn't evangelical. She wasn't preachy about it. It was just more that this, this was her tradition. Dave didn't faith.
0: grow up yeah. evangelical as well. See, so my ex my childhood spiritual lying in bed experience that I think of is like telling the demons to go away in the name of Jesus if I had a bad dream, mm. because that was Satan trying to get into my mind. Mm. Um, like because that's what I was being told when I was three and four years old. Yeah. Dave, do you recall any like spiritual
1: experiences? As a young child, uh, as a young child, no, because, yeah, my, my story is um, is similar to George's in that way, where I I was not raised going to church. And I think I mentioned this maybe in one of our first episodes, you know, the the earliest memory I have of going to church was somebody's funeral, a family friend's uh, father. And it was in an Episcopalian church where they had the, the prayer boards that you would kneel on. And the priest would be spraying incense incense around the the sanctuary, and I had asthma, so that didn't work out so well for me. Oh. So I mean, I, I grew up with this conception of church as like this stuffy place. that like you know, I, I didn't understand it. I'm like, what what does this have to offer me? But um, but yeah, I became a um, a born again Christian, as you'd say, when I was 14 years old. Um, a friend had invited me to church, kind of uh, similar to your situation george I, we didn't work together we were just friends at school and uh yeah i just got really involved and um really really passionate about my faith and so uh our, our stories are definitely similar there mm-hmm. what um what denomination of evangelicalism did you did you attend or, so, or did that happen for you
2: yeah they always i mean they pr- they they, pr- uh like prided themselves in being non-denominational that was like the, oh yeah right okay. you know, um, I mean, I went, you know, in, in, I guess, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel was the vein of, of, uh, the, right. the track that I went okay. down. Yeah.
0: My stuff was connected to that. I, I, I grew up going to a vineyard church, which splintered off from oh, Calvary yeah. Chapel. Um, but like but the pastor had come from Calvary Chapel in California and stuff, you know, but they're very, very similar. Um, so we probably grew up singing a lot of the same songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A, the,
1: charis- the charismatic wing of evangelicalism. Yeah. yeah.
0: Lots yeah. of speaking in tongues. Um, they're really like, into that.
1: I feel like Vineyard was more, they got way more experiential. And, yeah. and didn't Vineyard have a lot of the barking like a dog and just laughter in the spirit? Um, yeah. It seemed like, I I some mean, of that. it's very decentralized. So I think people's experiences probably would be really different depending on which church you went to but it does seem like some of the vineyard stuff went way far out there with yeah. the gifts of the spirit and and things of that nature did you have uh did you have any experiences george do you remember when you first uh you know became a christian when you first started going to church did you have some of those experiences and and what was that like yeah so calvary it's
2: funny cuz calvary was more of the you know controlled uh spirit spiritual gifts okay um, yeah, so they were very much like, you know, there's, you know, Paul, you know, outlines exactly how it's supposed to be done and where you're supposed to do and da, 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 and all that. Where, yeah, Vine- Vineyard, from my understanding, was a lot more expressive, uh, but I remember, actually, I was a senior in high school and I went on a uh, trip to Israel. We, you know, went to the promised land. It was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, here go, here come these Americans again, you know, yep. the, the Israeli tourism. Um, and <laughs> I remember like we were in, it was like in the middle of the trip where I like I always wanted the gift of healing. Like that was my thing. I was just like, because for me, like I remember hearing the some of the kids in the youth group who had gone to Africa and put their hands on tumors and they had, you know, dissipated. They were, you know, so so those experiences were always cool to me. And, you know, deep down, if I was able to like really analyze that, it was really my, my desire to be like, you know, not worshiped, but like, like, oh my gosh, George is, you know, like, he's awesome. Yeah. You know, like, you
0: you wanted to be an X-man.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Superpower, Give me the cape. I think we can all relate to
2: that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Instead of joining I,
0: the X Men, though, you joined Future Farmers of America. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um,
2: same, right? <laughs> and so,
0: you 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 mentioned that a few times in the book. Uh, you you joined Future Farmers of America in in high school, I believe. Yes. And so, uh, how's how's your farm doing? Or oh, are we not in the future
2: yet? <laughs> Well, now that it's legal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as far as it wasn't gets meaningful. To the spirit, that was, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Speaking in elevated tones. I don't know. That's um, that's
0: one way to do that. Yeah. Right. Kind of hallucinogenic. <laughs>
2: right. Um, yeah,
0: no, when when I when I was talking earlier about like how the book talks about a lot of these various relationships that were shaped or or stressed or broken by mm which part of your life you're in and which which part of yourself you were aligning with. Uh, There was a friendship you had with somebody in Future Farmers of America that seemed really meaningful that that got broken up essentially because of your own homophobia at the time
2: exactly talk about that yeah yeah so he was I love this man he was just one of the most like I, I, I describe him as this jolly Santa Claus type figure um, but if you were ever to get on his bad side it, it was hell like it was really bad and he just pushed us like I so I got so when I was in the FFA uh, I ended up climbing up the ladder and got into regional leadership almost made it to state leadership uh, but he was the regional director uh, for for our region And we just, we just had so much fun together we would always be traveling and you know doing goofy things pulling pranks and all of that. And it was clear you know he was open about being gay he had a partner he would talk about that. And you know I was, I was still like I was contending with my own homosexuality at the time like it was very much like. like whenever I was around other gay people, it almost was an offense to me, but for some reason with him, it felt natural and it felt good. Like in the sense, like I didn't feel like I was gay, but like, I felt like I could be myself around him. And so I would just, you know, be more expressive or whatever. And so we, we became, you know, good friends. And then as I got into the church, and this is while I, you know, while I was in college, this was like a few years after, uh, well, probably yeah, a few, few to five years after high school. And you know, we kept state, we stayed in touch. So he shot me an email, and he's like, "Hey, you know, like I would really, because, because uh, they they wanted to do a civil union, and they wanted me to officiate the ceremony." And I remember just feeling just so much love for this guy, but then also feeling torn because in the church that I was at, and and that was during the time that I was now a pastor and I was under this intense control I had to run it by the senior pastor so I talked to him about it and he was just like absolutely not you know what the Bible says about it and so with a heavy heart I I wrote him an email back just basically telling him as as much as I'm flattered by this um you know it's offense to my faith and I can't do that and I think I ended up sharing the gospel with him in that too and didn't get a response and never had heard from him again and so it really you know it, that that was one of of many relationships throughout my life and especially in the context of of where i was as far as my evangelicalism it was very it was very painful to to have to bifurcate out those two identities where it was like this is who you know i like i felt more free being you know fun and gregarious and all of that yet those were also quote unquote signs of of, of homosexuality and so i had to divorce from that so You know when i had this positive experience with this with this person it really it struck out a major chord for me because it was just like okay so i'm i'm like and and it's funny because i remember so many times bible verses being taught you know about jesus came to divide families and you know siblings brother against you know all those and that was commonly used in those types of situations where it was like it was prophetic it was like oh you're doing the right thing because people are being are isolating themselves from you when really it it was a form of manipulation and control to keep you more dependent upon them
0: (laughs) yep yeah the 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 world will hate you all all that sort of stuff is like reinforcing all these negative behaviors that, right. that people get do in evangelicalism are like, Oh, yeah, people really hate me. Oh, my family and I don't get along, must be following Jesus better than anybody else
2: literally like i'm a huge asshole i guess i'm doing the lord's work <laughs>
0: uh, like there's got to be some other verses verses that you, that you could be using to try to figure out how you're doing in life but right that's the one that they like using
2: the other one's foolish things of the world to confound the lies that's yes. that's a funny one <laughs> indeed
0: yeah and that works for all you know the q thinking right. and all that they're, they're just primed for conspiratorial nonsense when they're like yeah you think i'm crazy don't you well right. the bible told me you'd think i'm crazy <laughs> yeah. so so I guess so Literally. crazy, crazy for Jesus. That's right. all it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Maybe and being
1: crazy for Jesus, not necessarily <laughs> Trump conspiracies, but they do get conflated, sadly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> you, you, you already mentioned that your brother came out before you, mm-hmm. what was, how, how did that impact your choice about coming out and how, what was your relationship like with your brother, um before and after you came out
2: great question um we hated each other growing up like he would make fun of me because I was a I was a I was a plump kid growing up so he would make fun of me for being fat I would make fun of him for being gay even though at that time he wasn't out um but when he actually came out it actually added fuel to my fire it was just like because I saw what happened to him and and so it's funny because I write about how, you know, what I saw happen to my brother, as far as when he came out, you know, he ended up going to therapy. He, you know, our, my parents put him in therapy, like, you know, very well intentioned. Like I, 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 I always. Not
0: conversion it. therapy, but therapy, therapy,
2: therapy, therapy. Yeah. 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 No, I was the one in conversion therapy.
0: Yeah. I mean, because your, your parents weren't heavily evangelical, so They were like, eh, my kid it's- could use some help, but not my kid needs to be deprogrammed.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was it. Because like in in the 90s, it was such an interesting thing where it was like on, on the religious side, it was very much, you know, Jesus can heal you from this. On the on the secular side, it was that therapy can heal you from this. And so I saw that how it, you know, my perception of what happened was that it put a wedge between my brother and my parents. And in that time, this was during the time that I was in middle school, I I, I couldn't have that. There, there was no way in hell. they were you know my my dad was the the one person that I was trying to get you know acceptance and affirmation from after being tortured at school. And so I knew that if I was to share my my homosexual feelings, then I too would you know be di- separated from my parents. So I took a different route. Um, and I became because uh, one of the things that you know, two two things that my dad was very passionate about. I was all I would always joke that he was working for the FBI or CIA because he was so secretive. But the two things he got passionate about were sports and politics. And I was not going to get into sports unless you know I was looking at men in spandex, and then that too would also be um, horrible because <laughs> then they would know. Uh, but then um, you know, politics was a way that I related to my father, so I became this young Republican fueled the fire between me and my brother even more as he was trying to survive i was you know throwing out bible verses at him and all of that and so for for good years i mean i'm I'm 35 now when i turned 30 that's when our relationship actually t- took a turn for the the better um he and i like so when i came out i came so i moved to los angeles in 2015 uh had my first boyfriend ended up know coming out to to my brother about that and it shocked him at first um but he was he was also very hesitant too because he was just like you know what the hell like you were just lambasting me for you know so many years and we ended up having a falling out in 2016 and then the 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 election um, of trump happened and and i realized that my alliance with my brother was probably one of the strongest alliances that i needed in this time so we ended up um he was living in france at the time i was going to Spain for vacation, so we met in Spain and we call it our brothers for the first time moment where we really got to hash out things and we were just you know like I I uh, on my side. I realized that you know he had been such a, a revolutionary in our family to be one of the first people, you know with the, we had we had uncles and cousins that we suspected were gay. Uh, but he was actually somebody who had paved the way for me to make my coming out a lot easier because he at a very young age had decided to say screw it and be himself regardless of what those ramifications would have been. And so recognizing him in that moment and appreciating him for that really uh, went went uh, went miles with him and so, um, that was one of the things that I realized amongst the, uh, many, so many other things, but it was just such a sweet, uh, rekindling and, and actually having this moment. So that, like, he's literally like one of my best friends now. Like I absolutely That's awesome. Him. That's yeah. Yeah.
1: That's great. That relationship got repaired. Mm-hmm. What was it like in 2016? We, we all have, you know, been a part of evangelical Christianity. I, I still am. Um, you see, somebody like Donald Trump get elected mm-hmm. on on the back of support from evangelical Christianity, and both Zach and I are obviously anti-Trump. Neither of us voted for Trump mm-hmm. either time, but many evangelicals were ranging from enthusiastic about what he was going to do, like yeah. "I'm going to go get your enemies for you." Mm-hmm. Some some evangelicals were like, "Well, I'm voting for the platform, and right. you know, <laughs> I know I don't necessarily like the person, but." zach and i are, are cis straight guys and you know wh- what's that like if you can share being gay like seeing somebody ascend to power that really is actually a threat you know mm-hmm. i don't know if, if trump was necessarily a threat to me as like a white evangelical guy like at all like you know i i don't like him i'm against him but he plays to my audience but you know somebody who's a minority mm. a sexual minority especially with how trump would talk and tweet about people mm. you know what's that like just for our audience to hear to see somebody like that get elected to the most powerful position in the world essentially
2: yeah
0: that's a great also is the son of immigrants you're not yeah. white you're not
1: straight <laughs> you're
0: right. like, you take a lot yeah. of boxes for things that trump was was aiming for
2: <laughs> yeah no that's that's a really good question because it it at first it was infuriating because it was like i remember there was this one woman in my life who you know very evangelical she was like you know my mother at the time you know she filled that role or whatever and she was such a huge trump supporter and i just remember just like they're like literally blinders like as if like they plucked their own eyes out you know <laughs> like not in a, not in a jesus way um where they just were not not paying attention and you know then oh you know oh he's nebuchadnezzar or, you know god used nebuchadnezzar blah blah, oh, blah and i'm just like are you freaking kidding me like it was just so so you it, can
0: swear on this podcast it's oh okay cool just fucking yes, kidding you. me
2: <laughs> 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 okay, <cool. laughs> thank you i was i was gonna ask that i was like what's a good time
0: um, go for yeah. it <laughs> psychologically <laughs> helpful
2: I love it. It is. It really is. It lets a lot of stress out. More evangelicals should do it. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, at first it was infuriating because it was just like, you don't practice what you preach, clearly. Like this, like, like, there has, there has net, like, I, I can't recall a politician who represented, you know, "quote unquote" Christian values ever being so disgusting and despicable, you know. And so for me, it was very, it was very obvious, and it and, and it it contradicts what Jesus came to do, like. You know it's like when you know when when your brother uh, slaps you turn the other cheek like those types of things like it was like no this we're going to crush their heads like who are you God of the the Old Testament like what you know like what are you trying to achieve like um, so first it was infuriated and then it was scary. Um, And for me, you know it. I remember 911. Like I remember being called, you know, really derogatory terms. Those are the types of cussing that I'm not going to mention because yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. derogatory. Right. Yeah. You, um,
0: you, you, you there was one that you mentioned in in the book uh, yeah. that was that was had asterisks asterisks that I had never seen before. Mm. Um so that's part of my experience as not the target of of the ire of of those folks, um but Yeah.
2: Yeah yeah and and it's funny because like i was a big supporter of george w bush at the time and the thing was he had decorum like he was very like no it's not a muslim thing this is you know what he he, he but like trump was on steroids like he was just like coming for blood for everybody calling rosie o'donnell fat pig like all these like you know women all this sh- like and it like i was like there's no there's no like telling what this guy would do and you know like there was all these you know like these concerns about tweet by or or executive order by tweet and all of that so I think more than just in you know being a minority it was more of like the gay issues it was very much like and not just like like gay and lesbian it was transgender issues it was you know like minorities within those communities that that resources would most likely be stripped from because like as much as you know the Republican Party idolized Reagan like you know, what we learned from the Reagan era on is that that Republicans don't favor a lot of those resources that are that are allocated to people that are in need. So for me, I was very involved with um, a couple like um, political organizations leading up to that. I, you know, I was very active, I was very well, well aware. So my concern was more for, for the minorities within, within my group, not necessarily me as a gay man, because gay marriage had passed. And I mean, now, now it's like, it's a, it's a toss up with the Supreme Court. With
0: no help from you, 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 you were supporting <laughs> Prop 8, you write about. Right,
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, right, right. And so, like, like yeah.
0: actively working to help get get Prop 8 passed, basically. Right. Right.
2: Exactly. Which yeah. For,
0: if folks are too young to remember that was there was uh, be, before uh, marriage equality was the law of the land there, you know, states, various initiatives were coming up. And and uh, the biggest of those was Proposition 8, which would have amended the California state mm-hmm. constitution to make uh, same sex marriage illegal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And hugely uh, backed by Rick Warren, actually, a yes mega church pastor in California. Yeah. As well as mean,
0: evangelicals were the, the loudest voice involved in that. I don't remember what percentage it actually ended up getting, but it was not a small one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was like our church was so involved with that. Like it was, you know, even the churches in the area, like, you know, doing rallies and informational stuff and all of that. Like it very much was. And so, yeah, being on one side of the, 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 uh the spectrum like i know what these people are capable of doing like if anything that the evangelical is consistent is 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 it's persistence in the political sphere and we see that a lot with like phyllis shafley jerry falwell all these people Mm -hmm. um that ended up setting the stage for all this but like the 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 activation of the evangelical voice um although they are a minority have become one of the most the, the majority within within that that political party um, and really swaying policy and so yeah my fear was really around what you know what would happen to the social programs what would happen to you know the affordable care act because a lot of people in my community you know needed needed those services whether it be from HIV prevention or it be just for you know just a general doctor like here in Los Angeles that we have one of the largest LGBT centers in the world with with a healthcare program so those types of subsidies for them and such so yeah it was and Mike very-
0: Pence had been governor during a like a huge aids outbreak
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: in his state so he was like one of the worst possible yeah. running mates uh for for protecting uh the health and rights of lgbtq folks uh, at least in that regard <laughs> thinking about about 2016 and the immediate aftermath and, and all the, the the chaos and all these um the timing of this blows me away but you apparently decided to come out to your dad like fully come out to your dad the day after the 2016 election you you write in the book about a a previous conversation that wasn't really you saying you're gay but more like you were bullied with homophobic uh, comments and stuff and he had a Response was less than helpful, um, but yeah, I'm wondering if you could talk about those two conversations you had with him and 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 how those were different. How and and then in the middle, a conversation you had with him where you led him to Christ. Yes, and and how you feel about that. Those are those seem like three very big conversations in your life with your dad.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so the first conversation I had um, that was after the football game when I had suicidal thoughts uh freshman in high school. And you know, my dad was he literally the mo- he still is the most kind-hearted gentle person on the planet. Um, but when it comes to emotional uh capacity, he's he he lacks in that. He lacks in that um, environment. So uh after being picked on being called faggot queer fat you know you name it I every single name under the sun from the pool kids like that was like the defining moment for me I was like things aren't going to get better and so it really ramped up my suicidal thoughts so I remember him picking me up from the foot from the football game he was driving me to my my grandmother's house and I got in the car and I just started bawling and, and I told him what happened and and he just he he, he was he wasn't irritated. He was, he didn't know what to say, like for him, because again, emotional, his emotional ineptness was, was profound. He just said, you know, you'll get over it, Georgie. Everybody has gay thoughts. And it just struck me as, as, as cold and insensitive and, and also questioning like, well, is this just a phase? Is this something that I'm just going through? Um, but yeah, then, then fast forward to a few years or, you know, while I was, um, uh, praying the gay away, going through conversion therapy and everything, um, I had shared with him, you know, that I, you know, I struggled with same sex attraction. Cause I had words for it at that point. And he ended up just like, like bolted we were like walking and he just bolted i was like what wait where'd you go (laughs) and so we ended up like driving back my sister was in the car and like i it wasn't a good time so then when we got home i cornered him and i was like you didn't let me finish what i was saying i was like dad like jesus is going to heal me from this and and that kind of led into his own like it almost like gave him a little bit of relief but it was just it was just too much for him to handle but then um, you know, ended up sharing Jesus with him, you know, then uh, eventually like he ended up coming to, you know, he ended up accepting Jesus at, on my watch you know, sharing Romans chapter one with him, uh, or chapter 13, one is for me, homosexuals, um. <laughs> you got,
0: you got a notch on your belt for the Lord.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I have my patches and everything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the third conversation was. The day after the election. So that was part of what I was talking about with my, with the with the anger that I had, especially with evangelicals. And um, you know, my dad identifying as a Christian, I just I I needed him to understand the weight of of what was going on. And the conversation was was very much I started off with it, you know, that like, you know, this is really disheartening, you know, and and it's really scary as far as what you know because my my concern also was more for pence you mentioned pence and it it really was because he was a silent killer like he just he is a silent killer he's just he's very suave in what he does and um and he knows how to pull levers and you know trump is just kind of a babbling idiot Um, there's a lot
0: of people that were saying like we don't want to get rid of trump because then we'll end up with pence right exactly like Ab- he hates gay people and oh, yeah. can effectively like do shit.
2: That's closeted <laughs> bullshit right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like I, I actually in, in, in the original manuscript I took it out for legal reasons. I did mention Pence in there for something, but anyway, side note. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, just let him know. I said like, you know, your vote for for him didn't only impact my brother; it impacted me. And he was like, "Well, what do you mean?" And I said, "Dad, mm-hmm. I'm gay," and. And and I didn't care at that point, like before it was very much, you know, it was like uh, the, the prior conversation was trying for him to understand. I didn't care anymore. It was just like I I was done. I was pissed off at the re- results I needed. I needed them to feel p- pain <laughs> in a moment of, of joy for them. Um, and yeah, so it was very interesting. It was a very, very turbulent time. I remember moments from that election just being ingrained in my brain, and just like thinking about the people that, that would be impacted by it. Um, my brother specifically, and that's what kind of got us back onto to better uh, relation and a better relationship.
1: Can you take us back to the Exodus International when you went to uh, conversion therapy? Uh, if you would like to, and and share as as much as you want, and and, and you don't have to share everything if you don't want to, but Exodus International was, for our audience, this is the most notorious of the the gay conversion therapy centers. It was founded in 1976. Um, One of their missions, quote, help people who wish to limit their homosexual desires. And um, in 2006, this was a, I guess, you know, by any American standard, like a, a successful ministry, yeah. um, like I looked up, they had 250 local ministries in the United States and Canada, and over 150 ministries in 17 other countries. This was 2006. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to 2012, uh, then President Alan Chambers uh, renounced Conversion Therapy yeah. famously, this was actually a huge news story saying it did not work and it was actually very harmful to people. Can you take us inside Exodus International, again, share as much as you want and feel free to leave off the table, whatever you want. What what was it like being in this ministry and, and going through conversion therapy?
2: Yeah, I learned about Exodus actually in 2006 and I went to their national conference in, in Nashville um, at the time. And it was it, so I learned about it through a brochure on the door. It was like it was like the starting point of me really starting to quote unquote come out of the closet in the Christian context and like you know so. Um, I remember going to the conference and I write about this, like, right when I sat down, Yes,
0: um... <laughs> I loved it, Dave, Dave, you don't, I don't think you've read this part yet. So yes, I have not. This is great.
2: So when I sat down, um, I felt a tap on my shoulder and I was like, Oh, what's going on? I turned around and the guy's like, excuse me, sir. Can you please pull up your pants? Your crack is causing me to stumble. And no. I, <laughs> yeah true story (laughs) true story (laughs) we'll never forget it because like it it was just such a delicate tap like (laughs) he was just so like it just so much just like trembling in his voice and i'm like i literally was just like (sighs) okay is this the level of like you know like we like (laughs) of strength that i'm going into this conference and it really was like i remember so the second in command um ended up getting up and giving his testimony and was talking about how you know he uh, had, you know, become friends with a drag queen who ended up, you know, helping him in his journey. It's, it was kind of elusive, but then at the end, he was talking about how God, you know, Jesus is healing him and blah blah blah. Then Ellen Chambers, Chambers came up and used the term same sex attraction, which then gave me words for what I was feeling. And he was talking about how, you know, his his experience in in homosexuality. I was literally like like hanging on every word he was saying, like you know, he was talking about his experience and then he, you know, and the Lord healed him from it. He ended up getting married and having kids. And I thought to myself, I was just like, wow, if this guy was able to get as far as he did, you know, and and I haven't even, you know, looked at a penis, uh, you know, maybe like there's hope for me. And so then, yeah, then we went off into the the breakout rooms. And I remember there was this guy, um, he and I talk about this in the book as well. Um, he was talking about, you know, how trauma in our brains will uh, blank out, you know, certain moments or whatever, whether, you know, molestation and stuff like that. And that started this, you know, this quest for me to figure out who molested me when I was a kid, because there's no re- other reason why I was gay or whatever. Oh, no, it was yeah.
0: that 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 was one of the saddest things I've, I've ever read just you trying to make yourself believe that you'd been abused. And trying to come up with these memories of abuse.
2: It was fucked. It was wow. so fucked. Like, I remember, like, you know, so, you know, was it my trumpet instructor? Was it my uncle? Was it, you know, like all these stupid shit, you know, things that I was going down. Um, and then I got introduced to conversion therapy by going to one of the breakout sessions. And that's where, you know, the it, my conversion therapy journey started. Um, the guy, you know, it was just like, just so charismatic, so confident. He was a New York psychologist. He did, you know, telephone therapy, blah blah blah. And then I heard the sticker price on it, and I was just like, I can't afford that. Um, and so then after the conference, I ended up uh, finding a therapist in my local area who who practiced conversion therapy. And so I went to him. Um, but yeah, it was very, it, it was it was such an interesting experience. It's so funny. I've spoken to. I'm not sure if you know, uh, not the actor, but Luke Wilson um in canada he's a he's an advocate uh amazing amazing human being
1: yeah i've i've, I, I've I seen heard him, him on twitter I, oh, okay the first time i heard of him i think it was on thereafter when you were on. oh okay show.
0: yeah they, they mentioned that but yeah i've seen his tweets pop up. I, I was just noticing him the other day
1: yeah
2: he's he's fantastic like like we've been talking because he he did four years of it i think i did max wow. a year but he like he because he was at liberty um and and went through their program but you know, we were just comparing notes, like, and and any anybody, anybody who I've talked to that has gone through conversion therapy, like, literally, they talk about how, you know, either you had an over-domineering uh, mom um, or an abusive um, and or emotionally unavailable father, and um, or or domineering uh, yeah, overdominating mother and then father, and I remember trying to piece those things together because it didn't it didn't fit perfectly of of, a, of the, the, the mo of a struggling homosexual um and i remember like just like making up stories about my parents and making stories about my you know my grandpa you know molesting my dad or something like that you know whatever it was like there i just made up all these stupid stories and that's when i was talking about earlier about in therapy when i realized that you know creating those stories gave some sort of purpose and it's so interesting because conversion therapy gave gave the blueprint on how to create that story mm-hmm. um and and then all the other things i mean there was you know like uh dumbed down obviously shock therapy was maybe illegal i think in the 80s so they had dumbed down versions of it where the therapist had me wear a rubber band around my my wrist and i would just flick it every time i had a homosexual thought so i would associate pain with homosexuality um did the yeah.
0: therapist identify as having been brought out of of same-sex attraction themselves
2: no he was the white wi- yeah. he was wider than like wonder bread like you know yeah. like cisgender like you know meat and potatoes kind of guy salt of the earth like you know no he he had no personal experience with homosexuality whatsoever so <laughs> that so- i know of so
0: your 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 crack never caused him to stumble then no no that's i good. try I, I gotta say it. i'm 40 i i wish my crack could cause somebody to stumble these days to me right that, that's a really nice thing to hear
2: now i'm flattered <laughs> <laughs> i wish in the club someone would say that they're, they're yeah.
0: body positivity come on right oh like, thanks cute <laughs> <laughs> you let's see. You you talk about your friend Alexis. Mm-hmm. She had a very interesting response to you talking about this conversion therapy stuff. That seems like it was sort of a eureka moment for you. Can you talk about yeah. that?
2: Yeah. So so my friend Alexis in the book. Um, she. She and I like used to party together in college. This is when I was in my fallback period. I, I had a couple years fallback when I moved to college, got into, you know, couldn't find a church. So I ended up, you know, going to the liquor store church.
1: Uh, I would, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not bedside, it's not bedside Baptist. It's the liquor. Right. The liquor <laughs> Pastor, right. Pastor Jack Daniels.
2: <laughs> Pastor Jack Daniels, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah we used to party hard like we used to work together and stuff and uh, as i became reformed as i you know came back to the lord and went through bible college and then was about to assume- knew jack daniels as a calvinist <laughs> yes exactly exactly he was a heretic <laughs> <laughs> i love that Mass- what is it the ma- um, uh, master jack daniels or something that- oh
0: past past pastor
2: jack daniels is calvinist yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: i love it <laughs> Um, but yeah, as I started to get back into the church, and then this this opportunity to become a pastor there, um, she was moving away. And so we ended up getting lunch. Um, as, You know, and, and so she started to share about her time, you know, moving to LA, pursuing acting and all that. And then I started to open up to her because I became more comfortable with my story as a struggling homosexual, I felt like You know, I had overcome some things and, you know, I'd done conversion therapy. I was good. I, you know, didn't, I didn't lust for, you know, any men (laughs) that anybody knew of. Um, And so I shared with her that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but the Lord's healing me. And, you know, and, and when I had shared it with other people before they had said similar things that she said, but it was the way that she looked at me. Um, it was like the first time that somebody had really looked at me, um, and was like looking into my soul and showed true empathy and true sorrow for my situation. She literally just cocked her head and she was just like, babe, I'm sad for you. Like, and, and I was just like, I, you know, I kept trying to backpedal. I was so uncomfortable and stuff, but like it, her face will forever be ingrained in my mind because again, it was like, um, you know, other people had told me stuff before, but her her authenticity and what she was feeling and, and knew and I knew that she cared about me as a person really struck me and that 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 moment has stuck with me ever since.
0: Do you think that's, that's what? Well, what what point of the process of coming to full acceptance of yourself? Do you think that that was? And what oh. was the what was the rest of that? That story?
2: It's so funny in the moment I wouldn't say this but 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 thinking back on it, I think it was the start of me stopping trying to heal my homosexuality subconsciously it had an effect on me, it was it was for the first time someone looked at my lifestyle, um, my Christian lifestyle with pity. Um, and you know, with, with, with true concern, as opposed to like, oh, this crazy, you know, evangelical. So I think subconsciously it had an impact on me in, in like, from that point on, like, I wasn't really, you know, pursuing healing from same sex attraction. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm, you know, I struggle with other things. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, think about cussing or whatever it was, you know? Um, so yeah, homosexuality didn't become a concern until, Um, you know, I think about a year after that, the pastor, you know, thought it looked bad that I was single at 22 or 23 years old and didn't have a wife yet. And I was a struggling homosexual, you know, (laughs) it didn't look cute in the church. Um, then he ended up, you know, pimping me out like some Christian bachelor. Um, so yeah, it, but even in the midst of that, I wasn't really, uh, looking to like, for me, it was like, as long as I wasn't dating or I wasn't doing anything other than looking at gay porn, like. I'm good. Like I'm I don't have to, you know, worry about my sexuality because I'll probably just become a eunuch anyway, you know? Like Doesn't that um, sound fun? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> in in accepting who you were, you didn't just give up your your conceptions about about homosexuality being a sin. You know, obviously many people are Christians and are LGBTQ and their interpretation of the bible supports that. Uh I would say great. I'm no longer a Christian, so either way it's it's irrelevant to me, but I don't think that the bible uh, uh hates gay people. Um but but you are also no longer uh a, a, at least no longer an evangelical, probably no longer a Christian. What 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 role does spirituality play in your life?
2: Yeah, it's it's a very big piece of my life i you know kind of was talking about earlier about the um when i was younger and having this experience where i was levitating about my body i really became reacquainted to that experience like i remember a couple years after leaving the church i had night terrors like i would just be woken up and like i would remember the 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 verse about the worm that never dies and that that worm was like taking its toll in my internals and stuff
0: that one didn't stick on me dave is that is that one are you really familiar with that one it's in Revelation,
1: right? Uh, the worm that doesn't die—it's that one's in the Gospels. Okay. Um, I think Jesus was talking about Gehenna, uh, a place outside the the city walls, but no, I never. Um, well, I mean, I still am an evangelical, but I I I don't believe in a eternally conscious torment hell, and uh, yeah, I've never had dreams or, or anxiety related to that. I would say.
0: But that sounds like that's if awesome. that if that's a verse that stuck out to you as fright, I could see why you get night terrors from that.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a scary verse. For sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. So sorry, continue.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, because they would teach about it all the time. They would talk about you know like this is what hell is like, and you know, and I was like, oh my god, it's like you know, ugh, worms. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not, <ooh>. a <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> not a gardener. Exactly. Exactly. Not no, yeah, future farmer of America
1: doesn't like right. worms.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> what's that about (laughs) that is the podcast callback of all podcasts right right? that was (laughs) actually
2: perfect i love that that was like seamless (laughs) that was so good um but yeah i would just like go on dates with guys and i would just ask them like like that that didn't prevent me from like pursuing my homosexuality like my or my gay life like um, I would just go on dates and I would just ask guys like, Hey, what do you believe in? Like, where before I would use that question as like a proselytizing tool. Um, but yeah, it as I start, like, I, I outlined it in the book, you know, in my journey in, you know, like finding my identity in the gay culture, and then not really finding it there and then trying to find it in LA spirituality and not finding it there. And that really stopped for me after I saw this, um, the, my, one of my good best friends, she actually is my best friend. Um, her name's Victoria in the book. Um, she's the one who really opened me up because there were two things actually that I think were the source of that anxiety. Well, there were many things of the source, of that, but, but the two things that, that kept me in, in, in close proximity to biblical teachings was the idea of prophecies and then the gifts of the spirit. And, you know, prophecy for me was like, you know, I remember going to prophecy conferences and all of that. And I got over that because I was like, literally, you could read Socrates work and, you know, and and somehow interpret that as, you know, a prophecy of something in the current age or whatever. So I kind of got over that. But but the gifts of the spirit was the hardest thing for me to overcome because I remember like, these girls in youth groups saying like, they would heal tumors and all this stuff. And Then I met my friend Victoria, and she exemplified the use of the quote unquote gifts of the spirit in the secular context. And then that for me, and then her teaching me how to do it myself and like doing chakras and all of that type of stuff. And so it's, it's so interesting because I, I have this like weird hybrid, I guess if you will, about my spirituality where like I think the overarching theme is that astronomy is my religion, not astrology, but astronomy. Like I, I love, understand, you know, like about, you know, the universe and matter and all of that um, and, and just studying the depths. And, and the more that I became comfortable with the concept of, of a, an unknowable God um, the like ironically, the more peace I felt because it was like there wasn't this 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 pressure to follow a certain God or, or in their rules, because you know, like you know, it's it's I think it's in Isaiah where they talk about like, you know, who can comprehend the depths of God. I think it's Isaiah, um, you know, comprehend the depths of God. And I'm like, exactly, neither could you, <laughs> you know, like um, you know, so so for me it was very much like. You know studying studying this vastness really brought a lot of peace and knowing that like it could be anything <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> yeah that certainty that is such a huge component of evangelicalism just seems sillier and sillier the far farther away i get from it Where, like
1: mm. i i don't yeah. see
0: i don't see how like even studying the bible more would make you more certain about your beliefs about that <laughs> like, like, right there's ob- there's so many interpretations of things but but this this obsession with making sure you have the correct doctrine and correct theology and are certain about where you're going when you die and certain mm-hmm. about all this so like i don't i just don't see how anybody can be certain truly yeah um
2: yeah it, exactly and i think that's the thing It's that it, it it's it's this fear of the unknown and and that was one of of the main reasons why I stayed so long in the church too, was that like, if I departed from this, then I would go to hell. When you take that element out of it, like after I healed from all of that, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Now I can take these rose colored glasses off and see the Bible for what it is, (laughs) you know, as opposed to trying to justify by taking all these theology classes and, you know, is well, what John really meant in this passage? Well, you know, it's like, no, it is what it is (laughs) like. (laughs)
1: <laughs> anyway. what, um, do you have favorite astronomy books that have spoken to you that you like to re- do you read uh carl sagan or brian green
2: my i love my astronomy magazine like that's that's what i go to um the books are a little too heady for me so like as much as i love to study it like there's times where i'm just like i have to like so i watch doc- a lot of documentaries on it like how the universe how the universe was made um, on Discovery Plus. Um, I think Amazon Prime has a couple of good ones, but my biggest resource is the uh, Astronomy Magazine. I absolutely okay. love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of that stuff's above my pay grade too. I, I, <laughs> I tried to read, well, I did read a book by Stephen Hawking, but if you ask me what percentage of that book I actually understood, <laughs> it's a brief history of time. I so saw the movie. One of his, it's supposed to be one of his more approachable ones, but I'm I'm sitting there. I think I was reading on an airplane one time. Yes. I was like, I, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> I know. I think uh, Tyson did one, too, and I was just like it's supposed to be
2: one of those two. It's like, you know, astrophysics for, for, uh, yeah. for Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I literally got like three page, like pages into it. I'm just like, huh?
0: <laughs> I just, I reading about space makes me feel so stupid. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just not good with science in general. And I, I, I pretty much chalk that up to going to Christian school for the first 10 years of my life. <laughs> Um, and like what passed for science, being like Louis, Giglio. you know, there's there's satanic uh, drum beats and African rhythms that can like infect your soul, right. so be careful of drums. That's science. Uh, were, were there pictures know? of people riding dinosaurs? I definitely read That's books about like you know the you know the vague reference in Job to a uh, a. Uh, uh, what are they, a megal? Yeah, something oh, like yeah. being like a, this, a Leviathan, a yeah. Leviathan, like being like yeah. proof dinosaurs coexisted. <laughs> uh, the coelacanth fish they said it was extinct, it showed up in a market in China that shows us that it's not millions of years old. Dinosaurs were from people times. Boom! <laughs> Boom! My <Mic> job, <laughs> like, so I just got like a very warped perspective on science that wasn't based around critical thinking, and I don't think I like developed scientific uh, mm. critical thinking skills. So uh, I'm bad at it. And when science things comes up, I ask my wife to explain it to me, <laughs> and she's usually pretty good at it. So I've I've had lots of questions throughout this about the various relationships. Uh, in in your life, we we didn't even talk about your sister. That was somebody that that it seems like she was always kind of hoping that you'd come out of your stupor, so to speak and 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 be who you were, and that leaving the church and accepting who you are really helped your relationship. So sort of like alexis, seems mm. like you had sort of a similar relationship with her in that way. But all of these sort of lead up to, I guess the big question here for me is just something I've been thinking about about what it means as an adult to have relationships with our family. And Mm. how are those parent-child relationships, how is it that they turn into peer relationships as two adults that are friends and just can be together because they enjoy each other's company. So I've been thinking about friendships with families, within families and, and and I, I hear people say, you know, that that like friend real friendship with your family, with your parents in particular, requires transparency and honesty. Mm. And and I just think I don't want to deal with the impact of telling my mom even about this podcast, let alone that I'm not a Christian yeah. anymore. Yeah. And as someone who's gone from discovering a huge part of yourself to hiding that part of yourself, to being open about that part of yourself. How has that affected your ability to be friends with your family?
2: Mm, yeah, first and foremost, I mean, my dad, um, he had always been the source of my affection. I There was no person on earth that I wanted more to love and accept me than my father. And it's so interesting. Um, the more that I like, the more that I become comfortable myself, the more that there's room for, for our relationship to grow. And what I mean by that is my dad and I have a great relationship. Now we talk every single day. Um, I used wow. to get very, yeah. Like we, you know, he, but, but, but it's, but it's, it's, it's on his conditions. That's the thing. Like what I had to come to accept was that as, as much as I desire a more intimate deep relationship with him i can only go as deep as he's willing to allow me to right and so i meet him where he's at so like he's he's probably at a one i'm at a 10 so i it takes no effort and no pain for me to meet him at one and sometimes push him down to a two um and so you know i don't hide my sexuality like he asks about the book he doesn't want to read it because he knows that He doesn't want to hear about the pain that I went through because he is a very soft hearted kind person like I know that and I and I respect that. But he he expressed his his pride and 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 asks about it and you know and just when he's like man you're just doing amazing things and all of that. Um, So yeah we we only go as deep as he's willing to allow me to. my brother and I, as I mentioned, are are best friends, and you know, it, and I think that's also like he and I go deep. <laughs> like we like we, you know, we talk about the gnarliest things. Like and so, and he has that capacity. Um, and my sister is literally my rock. Like I, I am. She's she. I just idolize her. Like she's just such a beautiful example of of love uh, with uh, with disagreement. You know, she she loved me in one and when nobody could have loved me. You know, she was she was always there for me. She, you know, she was there at a distance at at the times when I was in the church because I would proselytize the hell out of her. Um, but you know, now we just I like I whenever I see her name pop up from my phone, I, I just smile and you know, and and again it's 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 the point of like accepting the different degrees that people are able to go that's where I think that I I find peace and knowing that like as much as I want to go deeper with these other individuals, these individuals in my life, I can only go as far as they're willing to allow me to.
0: That's great. I, yeah I, uh, I, I don't know if and when I'm going to be willing to, to go from whatever number I'm at to the next number with, with particular folks in my life. But yeah, uh,
2: that's boundaries too yeah it is that's healthy like you have to have those types of boundaries too yeah
0: that's you know it's it's all stuff i've been learning about and and yeah that's that's how i've been treating it at this point
1: maybe george wants to share how people can reach out to him on social media yeah i connect with you
0: yeah And the name of the book again we said it at the top but my gay church days by george azar
2: Yeah, and I'm 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 really excited. Um, We're hopefully coming out with a second version in a couple months, um, mostly to change the beneficiary. Um, I love the Trevor Project, but they're good. They have big corporate sponsors and everything. So I'm looking to to support a transgender advocacy organization currently in the search for that. Um, But then also kind of streamline the book a little bit more because again, like the first version was just a data dump. It was just like, look, this is my story, you know, and I'm sticking to it. And so now we're looking to, to really just kind of um, streamline it in a bit, excuse me. Um, But yeah, you can, I'm, I'm active on Instagram. That's my favorite platform. If you DM me, I respond, not a bot. Um, I love talking to people, um, you know, they have questions or concerns or whatever. Like, let's, let's have a conversation. Just don't preach at me. Cause I will come for blood. <laughs> I, I, I literally, literally like what, Oh, like I, I will tolerate questions. I, you know, obviously like I I'm open to people, you know, who want to learn more, but if you're going to come at me with like, like proselytizing, let's do it. Like I used to be an outreach pastor. Let's do this. Yeah, You, you got know? your 32nd
0: pitch, your two minute pitch and your 30 right. minute pitch.
2: Exactly, the elevator pitches. Yeah, perfect. I forgot yeah. to, have
0: got, yeah, 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 elevator to heaven pitch. That's what you should have called it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to leave well, us with their 30 second pitch, if you could remember
2: it, that'd be a great outro. Do you know it?
0: Perfect. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. It. Oh.
2: <laughs> I remember giving like a dramatic thing about how I suffered with depression and suicide, and then Jesus saved me. But anyway,
0: I feel like it'd be hard for you to keep it to 30 seconds.
2: I know, right, right, <laughs> right. Like, oh yeah, I. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting way off topic. Uh, but yeah, I'm also on TikTok and Twitter. Um, my mygaychurchdays.com. Um, I'm on Amazon. The best best place to buy the book is actually on my website because that's where most of the proceeds goes towards the charitable organizations. Um, Amazon does take a bigger cut, but um, yeah. That's that's it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well, well thanks for coming down. It was it was lovely chatting with you. Um, really enjoyed the book and, and everybody go check that out. Uh, Dave, any last words?
1: No, I just gonna you, say you just... great to meet you, George. And I'm so so glad you came on and talked to us. This was really oh. fun.
2: Thank you both so much. This has really been a pleasure. I love I love doing these things and and you guys are amazing. Thank you.
1: Well, Dave, that was fun. George was a really nice guy. George was really great. Yeah. I mean, it was an episode where we talked about really serious stuff, but we actually laughed a lot as well. So that was refreshing to me. It was great.
0: Refreshing, uh, replenishing the soil of the show. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Not everything has to be a callback. That's the lesson of today's show. Not everything has to be a callback. No, Um. (laughs) it's our podcast. We
1: can do whatever we want.
0: And speaking of doing whatever we want, we have merchandise now.
1: Merchandise,
0: yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've wanted is to not feel like coercive with our audience. Um, uh, we don't have anything, you know, behind a paywall. Um, you know, we we've considered opening up uh, a Patreon or a or a coffee or you know one of those sort of things because i i you know i understand there's people out there that that like the opportunity to to give back to to people making things that are valuable and resonant with them and that means something um Mm -hmm. i i always like you know paying for a friend's record when it comes out that sort of thing yeah um so the merch thing we've had a few people bring up the subject of that thought it'd be a good opportunity to give give people uh the option to throw a few bucks our way if they wanted to but also we we think the merch is cool and isn't too specific where you're walking around with a billboard for a podcast specifically we're saying you know something that you know i think our logo and you know the veterans of culture wars it it represents something about our lived lives and experiences of as people that have grown up with uh, evangelicalism and the, the trauma of that, the the things that we have worked through, it's, you know, there's a badge of honor. A friend, a friend suggested, uh, you know, you know, uh, one of the merch items be like a purple heart, essentially. Like we're not, we're not going to do that, but um, you know, it does, it does feel like it says something about, about us at least about me i feel that way um so if you feel like getting something or or you know somebody that has that has deconstructed or has come to a real different understanding of of faith and maybe they are they were in involved against their will in in a culture war based exploration of faith growing up um
1: Then, yeah, check it out. Got some good stuff there. Yes. If you have always wanted to tithe 10% to the show, even though we've (laughs) never actually collected tithes, you do not have to tithe 10% to the show. Please don't do that. But you can buy like a coffee cup or a hoodie or a shirt if you want to.
0: (laughs) Why not? I don't know what I'm gonna buy yet. I feel like I need to buy some of our merch ourselves. Dave at this point has the only piece I, of actual VCW merch. Oh, well, someone until did now. order a
1: sweatshirt today, according to you. But
0: yes, yes, yeah, uh, somebody did. But um <laughs> but yeah. but up until then, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave, your your lovely wife reached out to me not long after we'd started the show because Christmas or your birthday, one of those was coming up. And she said, "Hey, can you send me the logo?" I, I think it was Christmas. I wanna, Christmas, yeah. yeah. So she had a custom shirt made for you that now and then you wear that when we're recording. It, it was very uh, nice. Seems like uh, it's you know it's like putting on putting on your super suit or whatever. It puts you in podcast mode. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this has turned into like an infomercial for yeah, uh, so veterans can... of culture wars. This has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. Oh, sorry. We didn't say the, where it is. <laughs> ah, we should say where it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Merch. And
0: you can put this before all the other stuff if you want. I don't know. Um, It's just Etsy. um, And uh, the name of the store is VCW Hall. So Etsy. come on down to the com. VCW Hall. Grab some wares. We don't have vittles. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you can grab some wares.
1: Yes. All right. Take it away, Dave. This has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. If you would like, wherever you get podcasts, please leave a rating and a review as that helps others find our show. We have a uh, Twitter presence. We are at Pod. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at UZAC, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And you can also go to Zach's website to check out his music and his art, uzac.bandcamp.com. Thanks
0: again for coming on down to the VCW. And remember, as always, the podcast is free. But you still need to tithe 10%.